0: here everybody gathered together to to worship our Lord and uh, I do want to introduce Troy and Taylor and uh, Troy uh, those of you who weren't here on the 14th of February Valentine's Day you know there was the ice was coming in so some of you weren't able to to make it in and uh, Troy and James were here from Redeemer Church and uh, uh, Troy led us in singing and James preached and we are uh, partnering with Redeemer Church a church being planted hopefully near the air force base in columbus to help minister to the folks in columbus that come through uh, uh, the university and the uh, air force base and so we got the opportunity to meet troy and james that day and uh, uh, worship with them and uh, troy and i've had a conversation he's volunteered to help us out for a couple months while they uh, uh, you know their church is getting established so we're very excited to have them worshiping with us and he'll be leading us and singing uh, later in the service, and I'm thankful to be able to sit and worship with y'all and and get out of a place where I'm not gifted, (laughs) and to uh, to simply uh, uh, just worship with the congregation, so I'm excited. I'm very thankful to have y'all with us today, and uh, uh, we've come to worship, and just a glorious uh, spring day to worship our Lord, and I'm going to read a call to worship from Psalm 2. Um, Later in the service, as we get to the book of Acts, we'll see the church come together and pray, and they actually pray... This psalm back to the Lord. And so, in praying the scripture, they're praying words that God has inspired back to him and finding strength and comfort. We'll talk more about that later in the service. But in Psalm chapter 2, the second psalm will be our call to worship this morning. Psalm, Psalm 2. You're welcome. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning to be able to gather together to worship. Lord, and I just thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this community of grace, this family of faith, Lord, and and the, the joy that we have of being able to to gather together. And Lord, to come and join our hearts as one uh, to cry out to you and to worship you and to offer you our praise and our adoration. And Lord, we're just so thankful for your goodness toward us, Lord. And we, we confess that as this psalm speaks of the nations plotting and, and raging and, and seeking to throw off your yoke, Lord, we are... Sinful and rebellious. And Lord, so often we, we seek to do our own thing and we plot and we plan and we, we, we make our plans and, and discount and discard your plans and your sovereignty, Lord. So we confess that sometimes we are, we are rebels and we're in rebellion. And Lord, we fall short of your holy standard. But, Lord, we're so thankful that you have made provision for us in in Christ Jesus. Lord, that you have sent your Son, Jesus, who lived a sinless life and submitted himself to your authority and went even to the cross, even to death on the cross. And, Lord, we're thankful that you have exalted him and set him above all things and given him the ends of the earth for his possession. And, Lord, we give praise and thanksgiving to Jesus. And, Lord, we're thankful for for His present ministry of intercession for us and His presence with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as this psalm speaks to the rulers, we pray for those in authority over us, Lord. We pray for uh, the kings, for the judges, for those in authority that they would serve You with fear, that they would tremble and they would come to uh, repentance and faith and submit themselves to Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for those in authority over us that You would uh, draw them to Yourself, grant them new heart and grant them... um, wise judgments that they may lead in righteousness and truth. And Lord, we pray for your grace on our land, grace on our our nation, and we pray that you would be pleased to send a revival and that you would draw our hearts to your son Jesus and that he would be exalted and that there would be a revival of repentance and a revival of renewal and turning to Jesus. And Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity again to come together. And we're thankful for the ministry of your Holy Spirit that comes and leads us into truth and also empowers our hearts to offer you praise and worship and to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we pray that we would be the type of worshipers after which you seek, those who worship you in spirit truth. We pray that Christ would be exalted, that you would be glorified, and that we would be changed to look more like Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, where come lead us. All right, as we continue to worship this morning, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we've spent a couple of weeks looking at the miracle that God performed there in the, in the, by the gate of the temple. There was a man who had been born lame who was over 40 years old, he never walked, and his friends carried him and sat him at the the best begging place in Jerusalem. As people were coming to the temple, bringing their alms, and uh, uh, asked Peter and John for a few coins. And Peter and John said, Well, we don't have any silver or any gold, but what we do have we will give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the man's ankles and feet began to receive strength. And... Uh, And he was healed, and he who had never walked for 40 years was now walking and leaping and praising God. And he went running into the temple, and and a great crowd gathered. They knew this man. They had seen him there begging at the the gate for years and years as they had come uh, to worship and come to uh, toss him a few coins on their way to the temple. And uh, now he was able to walk, and he was clinging to Peter and John. And Peter and John took advantage of that opportunity to preach the good news of Jesus and to say that it is in the name of Jesus that Jesus whom uh, you crucified, God has risen him and he is highly exalted and now he is uh, living and he is still at work in the world, work at work in the person of the Holy Spirit and through his church and they took advantage of that opportunity to preach the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ and uh, uh, that drew the attention of the authorities, the temple authorities, and they came and laid hands on them, arrested them, and Peter and John spent the night in jail. And then the next day they were brought before the council, before all of the ruling authorities, religious authorities and political authorities, and stood in the middle of the most powerful, most influential, uh, most prestigious people of their day, thinking that these unsophisticated Uneducated Galilean fishermen would be intimidated by all of the signs of authority and the the powerful rulers around them, surrounding them. And yet, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, took advantage of that opportunity. And uh, we've talked about facing opposition. You know, he, he had a good, a good defense. Uh, the only reason I'm here is because I've done a good deed. This man is now able to walk. And then he went on the offense and accused them of crucifying the one that God had exalted, the one that God had ordained, Jesus, the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So Peter took advantage of that opportunity and, uh, and, and was courageous and bold. And uh, uh, the members of the council were kind of blown away by his courage and his boldness and the freedom with which he spoke. And the way that he had uh, courage was not intimidated by their power and their authority. And so they, they, they put him out and they had their deliberations and they decided that they would threaten Peter and John and command them not to teach or to speak at all in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And Peter says there at Acts chapter 4, verse 19, and so he kind of turns the tables. He says to them, uh, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, you human authorities, more than to God, you judge. And then he said, We cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. We can't help but talk about Jesus because there is nothing more wonderful. And uh, and we want to talk about, we've got to talk about, we are compelled to talk about the things that we have seen and heard in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the council, they couldn't keep them any longer. They hadn't committed a crime. In fact, they'd only done a good deed. And so they threatened them and let them go. And so the story, the event, the account picks up at our text today in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them Now look on their threats, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful that You are a God who speaks. And Lord, we're thankful that we have Your Word. We're thankful for the Bible, for the Scriptures. And we're thankful that every word of Scripture is a Word that You have breathed out. And that it is profitable and it is useful. And it is sufficient that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so Lord, we stand humbled before Your Word and And Lord, we are also thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who comes and who inspired uh, Peter as he spoke these words, who inspired Luke as he recorded these words. And Lord, the Holy Spirit now helps us to understand and to apply these words, these truths to our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would make us bold, that you would make us courageous, Lord, that we would stand in the face of authority and that we would would, would proclaim truth to those in power and authority over us. Lord, we pray that you would find us faithful. Lord, we pray that you would grant to us that which we need, that which we are lacking, that we might be your servants and that we might speak your word with boldness and with clarity. Lord, we pray for our church, pray that you would grow our testimony and grow our effectiveness as witnesses to Jesus Christ in our town, in our county, in our state. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Peter and John had won a great victory. (laughs) They had stood up to the authorities of their day. And they had proclaimed the good news of Jesus with boldness, with effectiveness. And even those who heard, even those powerful people, those authoritative people were struck by the boldness of Peter and John. Even though they were uneducated, they were unsophisticated. They were blown away and they were reminded of the boldness and the clarity with which Jesus spoke. They noted, they marveled, they realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And Peter and John had stood up to their threats. They had stood up to their, their their threatening. They tried to make them afraid. They tried to intimidate them so that they would be silent. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they stood courageously and boldly. And they boldly told them, the command that you are giving to us violates the command that has been given to us by Jesus, by God the Son, by the Son of God. Jesus has told us that we would be His witnesses. We would be witnesses right here in Jerusalem, and Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are commanded to be His witnesses, and we cannot obey the command not to speak or not to teach in His name, because to obey that command would go against the direct command we have received from God. And he puts them on trial, judge for yourself, is that right? And then they say, we cannot help it. We cannot help but speak about the things that we have seen and we have done. And so they'd won this great victory. They had stood boldly in the face of power, in the face of opposition. Last week we talked about the the conflict that the exploding church found uh, between power and truth. The power was commanding them not to tell the truth, not to speak the truth. And, and they, they stood for truth. They stood for God's truth. And, and they had won this great victory. And now they're they're released. They're let out of jail. They're left from the courtroom. They, they can't hold them anymore. They haven't done anything illegal. They haven't done anything for which they can be charged. And, and the crowd is very impressed and blown away by the demonstration of authority and the healing of the man. So there was nothing they could do but let them go. And so what did Peter and, do, Peter and John do when they got out of jail? When they were let go? You know, they weren't intimidated. They didn't go back to their homes and hide and say, you know, those powerful people had commanded us not to talk. We're, we're just going to go. We're going to go lay low. We're going to go back to the Sea of Galilee and go back to fishing. That's not what they did. Nor did they just say, well, we've won this great victory. Let's go to the marketplace. Let's go to the next mission. Let's go to the next victory. Let's, let's just keep going. Let's stand up to these authorities and let's go and do exactly the thing that told us not to do. Let's go to the temple and let's teach and preach and speak in the name of Jesus. No, that's not what they did either. They didn't just go to the next battle. When they were let out of jail, what did they do? Verse 23... They went to their own companions. What did they do? They went to church. They got let out of jail, and they went straight to church. You know, imagine walking in and say, well, you know, I wasn't able to attend the meeting last night because I was in jail. (laughs) That's exactly what they, they did. They came to their church and said, well, we've just gotten out of jail, and they reported everything that happened. And so what did they do? They felt the need to assemble. They felt the need to gather. They had faced opposition. They'd faced it with a a strong defense. They'd faced it with a strong offense. They had faced it by opposing their power with truth. They had stood fast to opposition. And now that they had won a great victory, they felt the need to go and assemble with God's people, to go with their own. They felt the need for community. They felt the need to go and, and, and gather with their family of faith. And this is such an important truth. When they were opposed, instead of just going out on their own against the enemy, they came and found strength in the assembly, the congregation of God's people. They came to their own people. And in the face of opposition, we cannot allow ourselves to become isolated Because God has called us to Himself and He's also called us together. He's called us to be a community, to be an assembly, to be a community of grace, a family of faith. He's called us to one another. And when we face opposition, we cannot allow ourselves to be isolated. You know, the scripture tells us that Satan's like a roaring lion and he's roaming around looking for somebody to destroy. And if you ever watch a Discovery Channel, you know that when lions hunt, they look for one that's been separated from the herd, one that's, that's slow, one that's lagging behind, one that's not gathered amongst the herd. And that's the one that the lion will seek to devour. And Satan's the same way. As we allow ourselves to become isolated from the community, from the family of faith, as we allow ourselves to come, to come, to come aside and be by ourselves and be isolated, we are vulnerable to attack. There is strength in community. And so they recognized that need to immediately go, not go out on their own back into the temple and start preaching again, or not go onto their homes and be isolated. They felt the need to assemble with God's people. And that's the beauty of, of the family of God. When God calls us to Himself, He calls us into a wonderful community, a faith family where we can draw strength. And the faith family, one another, each of us is essential to the sanctification of all of us. Our sanctification happens in the church, in the community. And our burdens, our burdens are lighter because we carry them together. And our joys are more intense because we have someone with whom to share them. And so Peter and John are released from prison. They've had this great victory. They stood up to that power. And immediately they went to the church. They went to the congregation. They went to their own people and reported to them all the things that had occurred. The healing of the man, the spending of the night in prison, and the command that they had been given not to teach or to speak in the name of Jesus at all, and the threats that had been issued by these very same people, the very same body that 50 days before had handed Jesus over to be crucified, to be put to death. These are the same officials, the same authority that are now threatening the church, the people of God. So the first thing they do uh, when they're let, let, let go is they come to their own companions. They meet together with the family. Uh, when the church faces opposition, we need to join hands and stand together against the enemy. And So that's the first thing they did. They assembled, they gathered. And then we're told that the church, the congregation came together and they prayed. And so what did the congregation do when they gathered? Well, they joined their voices together and they prayed. Verse 24. So when they heard that they, ra- or when they heard that, when they heard the, the threats and the command, not to speak or teach, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Now notice the community, the congregation, the family of faith, they raised their voice. And so here, Luke is telling us that there was a congregation, there was a group, there was a community, there was companions' (plural), and yet when they prayed, they prayed with one voice. They prayed in unity. They prayed in community. They prayed together. And in chapter 2, you know, we talked about one of the things that the, the, the exploding church was committed to. The exploding church was committed to prayers. They prayed for each other and they prayed with each other. And so here they come and they pray with one voice, but, but that one voice is in one accord. Now that word accord speaks of many voices joined together in perfect harmony. So they're praying with one heart, with one mind, and yet they have diversity... You know, we, we looked at the diversity in chapter one, the 120 people, and, and since then, 3,000 had been added that had come from every nation under the sun. And now 5,000 were added. So there was men, there were women, there were, there were servants, there were masters. They had come from different walks of life. They had grown up in different countries. They spoke different languages. But when they came together in the church, all of that, the voices were joined together in one purpose, one, uh, one, Voice in perfect harmony, and so they didn't lose their diversity, but their diversity became beautiful and they became united in their diversity. They didn't become the same, but they became united in diversity. And so the picture of one accord is is an orchestra with one conductor and you've got different voices and you've got different instruments. they're all playing different notes but it all comes together in one beautiful, perfect harmony. That's the picture of the prayers of the church. And so when the exploding church faced opposition, uh, the leaders of the church assembled. They came together with the body, and they lifted their voice in prayer. And, uh, you know, prayer is so important. So it's, and we live in a, cult, a country, we live in a culture that is kind of minimizing the value and the importance of prayer. You know, uh, when a tragedy happens, you'll see some, some political authorities or, or people, famous people, go and say, well, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with that community. Or my thoughts and prayers are with those who have lost their loved ones, those who are experiencing tragedy. And then you'll have other political uh, officials saying, well, we don't need to offer thoughts and prayers. We need to do something. <laughs> we need to do something of value. We need to do something that makes a difference. And we as Christians believe that prayers make a difference, that prayer is the most important thing that we can do. Now, we do have to be careful. We don't say we, get, we send thoughts and prayers and then not act. Uh, you know, there should be actions. It's not enough just to say, I'm sending you my thoughts and prayers, but if there are practical needs, we need to make sure that we are going about meeting those needs But it's the people of God we need to pray before we act. We need to pray while we are acting. And we need to pray after we have acted that God would be pleased to bring fruit and to provide comfort and to provide grace. And so we believe in the power and the effectiveness of prayer. And so when you tell someone that you are sending your thoughts and prayers or if you want to just avoid the cliché and say, I am praying for you please be sure to pray for them and not just say that I'm praying. When you read a a social media post, don't just post the hands-pressed-together emoji. Really pray for the people. (laughs) Really pray for their needs because there is power in prayer. And in this text, we see why there's power in prayer. Because we pray to a God who is all-powerful. And so the church came together and they prayed. And they prayed to God. And they prayed to... The God that is all-powerful, that is completely and totally sovereign. Look at verse 24. When they heard the threats and the command, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so notice how their prayer begins. It begins with praise. It begins by reminding themselves of who God is and who it is that they are praying. They they repeat God's attributes. And they praise Him for who He is. And they recognize that they are coming to Him because He is all-powerful. He is completely sovereign, and they are weak, and they are in need. Uh, Now, verse 31, it says, when they had prayed, and there's actually eight words in the New Testament that might be translated prayer, and this word carries the idea of needing something, of lacking something. It is a it is a prayer that recognizes our need, our dependence. And so Peter and John had won a great victory, and they came and reported to the church, but as they reported that to the church, the church realized that they had a need, that there was something that they were lacking. If they were going to stand firm against these authorities, and they were going to boldly preach and teach in the name of Jesus, that they needed something. That they were lacking. Prayer is an an acknowledgement of our dependence, an acknowledgement of our need. If we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, then we need more than we have. We need resources and wisdom and strength and courage more than is ours. And so where do we go? We go to the sovereign master of the universe. And so they said, Lord... Lord God, You are God. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea. You are the Creator. You are eternal. Everything that is comes from You. And because You have created, You've got all authority. As the Creator, You rule sovereignly over everything. And it's interesting also, another interesting thing, the word Lord here. There are a couple of words that are translated Lord. And uh, verse 29, when they conclude their prayer, they use the common word for Lord. Now, Lord, look on their thrust, But here they use a word that is not as common uh, for the word Lord, and it's actually the word that we get the English word despot from. And so they say, Lord, and some of you may have an English translation that's added to to help us see the difference in this word. They may say sovereign Lord, using the word despot. Now, when we hear that word, we think of bad. (laughs) To us, despot means Bad. Because it's a word that means all authority, complete and total sovereignty, that they answer to no one, one autocratic ruler with all power and all authority. That's what that word means. And we think it's bad because when we think of a despot, we are thinking of a human person who has all power and all authority and doesn't answer to anyone and can do exactly what he wants to do and because every single human leader that has ever walked on the face of the earth is a sinful person. Totally depraved. Cut off from God. In rebellion against God. And and, and, and sinful. And so when that Sinful person has all authority. What does he do? He uses that authority in sinful ways. And so we think of despot as a bad word. Usually an abuse of authority. Because in our human experience, that's what happens. A wise man once said, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And so when we think of that word despot, we think of bad. But, but who are they talking to? Or well, they're talking to God, who is good who is kind, who is gracious, who is faithful. And so they are talking to God who has all authority, supreme authority. He is Creator, and He is Ruler, and He is Master, and He is Sustainer, and He is good, and He is just, and He is righteous. He is all-powerful. He is infinitely wise. He knows what ought to be done. And He has the power to carry it out, and He is infinitely loving and good, so He always does what is good, and for His own glory and for the joy of His people. And so the church comes together, and they are submitting to an all-powerful, supreme authority, the God who has ordained these authorities, these human authorities, that have commanded them not to teach or speak in the name of Jesus at all. And so they are crying out to the one who is supreme over those human authorities and they are asking for something that they need. And so prayer is effective and prayer is powerful because we pray. When we pray to God, we are praying to one who is all-powerful. And we are praying as children, coming to a loving Heavenly Father. If we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are His children. And we come to Him and He loves to hear from us and He loves to give good things to His children and He will always do what is for His glory and for the joy and the good of His children. And so prayer is powerful because we pray to the One who is all-powerful. Not only do we pray to the One who is all-powerful, we pray to the One who has, who has promised that there is nothing, there is no scenario that will result in the defeat of His people. His people Will have victory, no matter what. And so, so they continue their prayer. They address their prayer to the God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, that's all in them, and also a God who has promised, a God who has spoken. And they actually quote Psalm chapter two, a Psalm written by David. And here, uh, Luke helps us understand the inspiration of Scripture. Who was speaking? God spoke. How did He speak? Through the mouth of your servant David. And so David is speaking in such a way that he is speaking the very words of God, that he is speaking a promise from God. And so they pray the Word. Not only do they preach the Word, not only do they sing the Word, but they come together and they pray the Word. They pray God's Word back to Him. And they reflect on a promise that God has made in the Scripture. And one of the things that can really transform our prayer lives is to begin to pray the Word of God back to Him. Have our prayers in, informed by God's Word. As we, read, as we read the Word of God, God is speaking to us. We're reading God's very words. And those words can inform our prayers. And, and one of the most transformational things that ever happened to me was to, uh, to, to realize that when we pray, and we pray back God's Word, well, God talks to me through His Word, and then based on what His Word makes me think, that's what I speak to God. And so they pray God's Word, and here they specifically pray God's promise, and, and they recognize, you know what, we shouldn't be surprised by these authorities telling us not to preach in the name of Jesus because human authorities have always opposed the work in the people of God. All the way back a thousand years ago in the day of David, what did David say? Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed one. And David is probably thinking about his own circumstances. You know, he'd been opposed by, ever since he'd been anointed king, he'd been opposed by Saul. Saul tried to kill him, chased him down with his army, and David had to flee, and David went to different places. And after he became king, well, he was, had the enemies of the Philistines, or before and during, and uh, while he was king, the nations would come against him. David had enemies all around him. The nations were raging, the people were plotting vain things. The kings of the earth took a stand against Him. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and His anointed. And so David writes about his own circumstance and his own situation, but the Holy Spirit uh, used David to speak about things about which he did not know, and he spoke prophetically, pointing forward to the Lord's Christ. The Christ. The anointed One jesus christ that the nations would rage against him as well and the nations would rage against his church as well and so the the church when they pray they pray to the one who is all powerful and they pray to the one who has promised that the nations raging and the people plotting and the kings taking their stand and the rulers gathering together will be in vain the people plot vain things. It will be empty. It will be meaningless. It will not accomplish the purpose for which the human rulers intended it, but instead it will be overruled by God to bring His glory and to bring the good of His people. And so they pray to the one who is all powerful and they pray to the one who is promised. Yes, the nations will rage. Yes, the people will plot. Yes, the kings will take their stand. Yes, the rulers will gather together in opposition. But it will accomplish not what they intended. It will be in vain. It will be empty. It will be meaningless. And God's people will stand. And as we look at our culture and we look at our society, and we look at the increasing hostility, we've got to remind ourselves there is absolutely no scenario where God's people do not win the victory. We will have victory in Jesus no matter what the nations rage, no matter what the people plot, no matter what the kings of the earth take their stand, no matter what those who gather together decide, God will win. God's people will be victorious Jesus will reign over all forever and ever no matter what and so when we pray we can take God's promises from the word and and inform our prayers and be encouraged and strengthened by repeating God's promises to him they repeat his attributes to him they repeat his promises to him and they also say not only is he all powerful not only has he promised but he has actually performed it right here in our time and in our day And so they look at their experience. Now, for us, this is patched. For them, they're eyewitnesses of these events. And so not only is God powerful, and not only has He promised, but He's done it. And they saw it. They are eyewitnesses of it. Look at verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, your anointed one, your Christ. What happened? Well, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel... Gathered together against Him. Just like your words said it would happen. They raged. They plotted. They took their stand. They gathered together to conspire, to murder Jesus, to put Him to death, to, con- to convict Him of being a blasphemer and a traitor and putting Him to a felon's death, even the death on a the cross. They came together and they plotted that. They came together against Jesus and they're raging and they're plotting and they're stand and their conspiracy and they put him to death a felon's death a death on a cross they executed him but god raised him from the dead the one they executed god exalted the one they killed god resurrected God raised him from the dead. And you know what? All of that raging, all of that planning, all of that plotting, all of that conspiracy, what was it? Oh, that was what God's hand and purpose determined before to be done. And so in their sinfulness and their rebellion and their and their arrogance and their, their wicked, evil hearts, they plotted to murder the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth. And they alone are responsible for their wickedness, for their conspiracy, for their sin. They are accountable to God for the rejection of His Christ. And yet, all of those plottings to do the most evil deed ever done, to murder the Son of God, to murder God the Son, God used it to bring the greatest good ever done. The salvation of every single one of His people of whom He will not lose one. And so God ordained this without being accountable or responsible or the author or approval of sin. He used their sinful purpose uh, to accomplish His purpose of bringing salvation to His people. And so God is all-powerful. The nations will rage in vain and whatever evil they come up to do God will work it for his glory and for his good. God will overrule their evil and work it for good. And they could pray that because they'd seen it. They were witnesses of these things. And, and so notice the power in prayer. They pray to the ones who's all powerful, the, the sovereign over all of the universe. It doesn't answer to anybody. And he's promised that yes, the people of the world are going to come against you, but their plannings, their plottings their will be empty. And not only that, I will turn that evil and that wickedness and work it for your good and my glory. And so when they prayed, they reminded themselves as they reflected back to God how God had been faithful. Right there in their lives, right there in their times. And we can draw from the fact that God has been faithful. And when we pray, we remember how God has been faithful to us in the past. And that gives us courage for the present and hope for the future. Because God is faithful, and His righteous have never, ever been forsaken. He was faithful to David, he was faithful to Jesus, and he will be faithful to every one of his people. There is no scenario where God's people do not emerge victorious. And so, when they're let out of jail, first thing they do is go to church. And then the church comes together and they pray. And they pray to the one who is all-powerful, the one who is promised, and the one who has performed. And So we saw who they prayed to, what they did when they came together. They prayed. Who did they pray to? They prayed to God, the sovereign, the all-powerful, infinitely loving Lord. And then what did they ask third? What did they ask? Verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They did not pray for God to send down a lightning bolt and burn up the Sanhedrin and destroy them all. They did not pray for the destruction of their enemies. They did not pray that they would be delivered from suffering. They didn't pray, Oh God, whatever You do, don't let us have to spend another night in jail. They didn't pray, Oh God, whatever You do, don't let them take us and beat us like they did Jesus. They don't pray, God, whatever You do, don't let them execute us, lift us up on a cross like they did Jesus. They don't pray for deliverance. They don't pray for rescue. They don't pray for judgment upon their enemies. They don't pray that they would be prosperous and have peaceful lives. They pray that they would be bold in standing against the opposition. They pray for boldness. Lord, look at their threats. They've threatened us. And we know they got the power to carry it out. We saw what they did to Jesus. They got the power to put us in jail. They just did. We just spent last night in jail. They got the power to strap us to the post and. And, and give us 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. They've got that authority. they got the authority to take us before the governor and demand that we be crucified. Just like they, Jesus, they've got that authority. Their threats are real. So Lord, hear their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Don't deliver us from danger. But help us to stand in the face of danger. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be faithful. Help us to stand up through their threats. And to obey you, not them. To faithfully speak of the death of the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and the fact that there is salvation in none other except Jesus. Help us be bold and courageous. Give us the freedom to speak truth to power and not be afraid of their threats. Help us to be faithful no matter what happens. So how do you face opposition? you go to the one who has all power and has promised to deliver His people and has performed it in your life. And you ask Him for what you don't have. You ask Him for what you need. Help me be faithful. Grant me boldness and courage. Help me obey you and not be afraid of them. And the powerful God answered. Well, uh, Verse 30, they had a second request. Not, not only give us boldness, but stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders that may be done by the name of Jesus. Well, you know what got them in trouble in the first place? <laughs> what got him in trouble in the first place? That man who'd been lame for 40 years, who had never walked, and uh, he got up and he starts walking and leaping in and in God, That's what got him in trouble. <laughs> that's what got him in trouble. But it, you know what else it did? It authenticated the message. It proved that what they were saying was true, and that they were messengers from God. And that Jesus is alive. And Jesus is at work in the world through His church and through His... People, and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is alive and He's at work. That's what got Him in trouble in the first place. And so they don't ask to be delivered. They ask that God would do it again. Do it again. Help us be faithful to preach Your Word, and then You send the authenticating power to show that we are from You. We are Your representatives. And we've talked about signs and wonders. You know, this is the age of the apostles Today, we authenticate a messenger or a message by comparing it with what the apostles have written, the doctrine of the apostles. But here, God was authenticating this new revelation that Jesus was alive and He was at work in the world through His church and through the Holy Spirit. And so they pray that God would do it again. Give us another opportunity to stand in the temple and talk about Jesus. Give us another opportunity to go spend the night in jail and then stand before the Sanhedrin and say that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, the name, only name under heaven, by which you must be saved. Give us an opportunity to do that again. And then when it happens, help us be bold and take advantage of that opportunity. And so God answered, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and God answered their prayer. They spoke the word with boldness. You know, we live in a day that discounts the power of prayer. You know, the, the world believes that praying is not doing something. And that if you're sending thoughts and prayers that you're not doing anything of value, you're not doing anything that matters, don't send. Thoughts and prayers, do something. Pass a law, do something. But we as Christians recognize that prayer is powerful and effective because we pray to the sovereign of the universe and we're His children and we come needy, empty-handed and God loves to give His children good gifts. We pray to the sovereign of the universe who has promised victory. And his promised to give what we need in order to be faithful and to give us the victory in Jesus no matter what the world brings. And so there's power in prayer. But prayer should be our first action. And we should pray before we act. We should act to meet practical needs. We pray while we're acting and then after we have acted, we pray that God would be pleased to make it fruitful. But there is power in prayer. And also, what we see here, there's there's power in praying the Word of God. Pray the Word. And so as you as you have your quiet time and as you exercise the spiritual disciplines, a lot of times, you know, we separate our spiritual disciplines, we read the Word, and then we close our Bible, and then we pray. But the example of the early church is they prayed with an open Bible. And they... Let God speak to them. And based on the thoughts and and, uh, emotions that came from God speaking, they crafted their speech back to God by the Word. Pray the Word. It is so powerful to pray the inspired words of God back to God and also to receive comfort in what God has promised and how God has performed in the past, how God has shown His faithfulness, all those things can inform our prayers and help us pray with confidence and with faith, looking at what God has said, what He has done, and what He has promised. Pray the Word. I encourage you in your spiritual disciplines, pray the Word. And when you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, pray for them. Go to the throne of grace in the name of Jesus. And ask for what we and what they need, and then also in this text we see the power of community. And boy, have we learned that this last year—how important it is in hard times to gather together with God's people, and the strength that comes in community, and how we need each other. And in the body of Christ, in the church, in the community of grace, and a family faith, every single member of the church is essential to the sanctification of every single member. That's how God has purposed it. That's how God has ordained it. We need each other. And if you spend the night in jail, don't be afraid to come and say, you know, I wasn't here last night because I was in jail. <laughs> come to God's people just like Peter and John. And when people come and say, you know, I was in jail last night, we come together we pray together, okay? <laughs> we need each other. We need community. In the face of opposition, we've got to join hands. And we got to stand together against the enemy and cry out with one voice. All our different voices come together in one and asking God for what we need. We need God to help us be bold and to be faithful in enemy territory. They didn't ask to be delivered from the trouble, but they asked to be faithful through the trouble. And we'll see how that plays out as we continue in the book of Acts. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, we're thankful that You are all-powerful, that You are infinitely wise, and Lord, that You purpose and ordain things that are so far beyond our comprehension. And we look around and we see hopeless evil and wickedness. God, we believe and we see your promise that you are going to work all of that for your glory and for our good and that you will give us victory. Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to be confident. And help us to be faithful. And Lord, thank you for this community of grace, for this faith family. Thank you for each one. And thank you that we can assemble today together. And join our hearts to praise, and to ask for those things that we need. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Troy can lead us as we respond to God's word. Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, the God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen